0: So what kid's story is scary to
1: you? Okay, I won't ask you to define that because it might disqualify this story. Because <laughs> so I'm, I'm not really sure it's a kid's story, but it's a story with a kid in it. So technically it is a kid's story, right? Mm-hmm. So after dinner one night, a father goes mm-hmm. to his daughter's bedroom mm-hmm. and she's in bed and he's tucking the daughter in like mm-hmm. for the night mm-hmm. and she looks terrified she's like dad there's someone under my bed and he's like okay okay I'll, 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 I'll check it out don't worry like no there is someone under my bed I'll I'll, I'll, no, there's someone under my bed like okay let me look so he looks under the bed and finds someone under the bed. But it's his daughter who tells him, Dad, there's someone in my bed. The end.
0: What? The actual? (laughs) What?
1: The person in the bed looks exactly like the daughter. And the person under the bed looks exactly like the daughter. And they both insist there's someone on the other side.
0: <laughs> Why though? Um, that is a scary story. What are you you ask. What are you reading? Oh my God! That is asked. so creepy. <laughs> Why though?
1: It is one of the yeah. It's one of the scariest stories I've ever come across.
0: That is a very scary story. Okay. <laughs> so, what part of the human face is your favorite?
1: Of the human face. Yeah. Huh. I think it's the eyes. Oh. Yeah. yeah. It's it's the eyes. The eyes. It's 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 amazing how we all have such different eyes. I didn't. I think I remember reading somewhere that our eyes don't change in size from when we we're born. I'm not sure how true that is. Yeah, and also how it's such a powerful, powerful instrument. Like we use it for, the, for people with sight, use it to perceive almost
0: mm.
1: everything that defines your life.
0: Yeah.
1: But then they also express so much, especially emotionally.
0: Mm.
1: And when you think about it, the, the eye is, is, is a strange thing. It's just, it's really a pinhole camera. <laughs> that moves Oh wow Yes, the pupil is really just a hole
0: Oh wow
1: <laughs> but, they're, but they're still so pretty They're so pretty Like how, how is a pinhole camera so pretty That that should be illegal
0: I think that's my favorite part of the human history Yeah? Yeah, you can always, I don't know
1: Eye and eye <laughs> Yeah <laughs>
0: Oh, wow, God! <laughs> it is that interview. <laughs>
1: yeah. How
0: would you solve problems if you were from Mars?
1: I think I'd figure out a way to Thanos everything, like just snap twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me. Uh, that's where I am. Ni machoka na kila kitu. Um, just if Thanos snapped twice, it would have been saved so much. There would be no more problems. But really I feel like the one of the, the the major problem on earth is humans. So true. You eliminate them and you might just solve most of your problems, including yourself.
0: <laughs> so I'm also beginning to so wondering, am I going to be in the half of that stays? Am I the one that does it?
1: No, if Daniel snaps twice... Oh, it's
0: twice, though! Yeah! We are all gone! We are gone! Dude!
1: We don't need to... don't have to deal with the loss!
0: This guy mm. has come to <laughs> give us darkness and humor. Dark humor, here you are. So, if you're a fan of dark humor... <laughs> our brilliant listeners, this is the NBOMTI podcast, and I'm your host, Wanchiko Mavuganga, taking you through the backstage series... Where I get to meet the NBO participants and walk you backstage to talk about their lives and their artistic practices. And today, um, I would like to welcome to my makeshift studio, Ngatia. Thank you. I don't want to do the injustice of introducing you. Tell us about yourself and your artistic practice.
1: If we really started at the deep end, we started with the question no one ever knows how to answer. Yeah. About yourself. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, my name is Ngatia. I am a storyteller, and I, I tell stories in different media. I'm, I'm. I'm yet to to. To choose one thing that gives me absolute, um, one absolute platform. I don't think I should have to choose. So, I tell stories in 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 the form of poetry, um, narrated stories on stage, fiction, nonfiction, jokes, I guess that's a form of storytelling as well, screenplays, so I've written for TV, I've written for film, but but I tell stories, that's that's the summary of it, and I make things, I make a lot, I have vast, I <laughs> have very many interests, so it's, it's pretty difficult for me to limit what's I'm interested in so I, I I do make things I'm involved in making sure that other people's stories and and their art and music also reaches more people from which i I draw from some experience I have in advertising and marketing and i just i I'm, I'm part of this huge human experiment <laughs> that's pretty much what I do that's relevant to this specific space, I think. I'm a love of music, I'm a love of art, I'm a love of human beings. Some interest me in specific moments more than others. And at the moment, I'm also very interested in in the pursuit of of joys, especially the little joys and, and the happiness we often do not have time for.
0: So for our viewers who have never heard about Too Ali for Birds. Um, Gatia is one of the co-founders. Let's dive a little into that and how Too Ali for Birds, basically a, a, a storytelling show, transitioned into musicals.
1: Now that I, I, I look back, I, I think it was inevitable, right? Um, almost everyone who's worked on Too for Birds really, really, really loves music. And music has been such a central part of of how we tell stories on on Twenty Four Birds, from the first one where we use musical references, and he was a director. I remember the 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 number of conversations we had about what what should play here, what what should go, and it's never music has never really been a backdrop. We've had very many instances where the story stopped to allow for the music to happen. Like mm. The music is such a huge element in pushing the story forward. Um, to this day, one of my favorite moments in any 24 Birds show um, is brano Ogola as timothy Joyer performing a version of Unbuogaboo by Giddy gidi Maji Maji.
0: It, I thought you were going to say the MC Hammer moment. The MC Hammer <laughs> moment
1: is, that's not, it doesn't even fall under favourites.
0: Oh, but that, that is my favourite, just seeing you guys there. Uh, that's a culturally
1: that defining moment. <laughs> I mean, that's a gift you gave to us. There's um, <laughs> there's there a, a layer during Brazen just jumping into that beautiful beautiful uh, song from Three Idiots. Yes. Right. The the amount of Beyonce that just yeah. was in 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 Breze. music has been part of 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 the, of the storytelling from the beginning, and and it's part of how Africans tell stories, right? Um, but. Logistically, how we ended up here was we were showing up for some of our friends, BookBank, who are doing an amazing, amazing job um, renovating and restoring the Macmillan family of libraries. And um, they asked us to perform in one of the events. We happened to tell a story a year before. This was in 2018. In 2017, we told a story about how the library came to be. It's a wild story that starts um, in some diviners um, space in West Africa, ends up with a bunch of colonialists and a a U.S. president who robs Muslims in Africa. It's ridiculous. Um, And we did a version of of that story at the library, which was in itself a... A transcendent affair. It's it's something. It's one thing to tell the story of a, of a of a space, of a building, an institution. Then there's, it's a totally different experience when you're telling that story within the space. And um, at that time, as it often happens in our business, we didn't know who else was in, that, in the lineup. So we show up. I remember we were supposed to perform outside, on the steps, and we would really prepared for that. We had all these beautiful fairy lights and and, and the ideas of how without people would even see the stories that they are walking by. It's in the town center, it's right next to Jameer Mosque. And then, as it often does, the Nairobi weather decided otherwise. And we had to perform inside. But that was a very challenging thing by itself. But we did the story anyway. At the end, she was the MC that night yes and then she introduces the next act and it's ladies and gentlemen give it up to it's to four give it up for mm-hmm. Eric and I was like what, what, what? <laughs> right. I'm, I'm a big Eric Wiener fan mm. and I think we all are yes
0: definitely.
1: And um, despite the fact that we just stepped off stage it was just amazing to, to stand there and watch Eric perform and Eric gets on stage, and before he 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 starts performing, he acknowledges our our performance. I'm like, I need to call my mother right now. Eric just, <laughs> and then then he mentioned that um, with a bunch of other people, they were involved in this musical theater workshop um, that he thought we would fit in, and. It was like, yeah, you know, that sounds nice, but we've been in the in the <laughs> we've been in the in the ad scene for long enough to know that in the heat of the moment people say a lot of things, mm. and we've been promised heaven and that you know that, yes, I and do. then things don't follow. So I was like, that's really nice of you, Eric, to say, but oh wow, another disappointment in the making. There's there will be nothing. So I, I was like, that's dope. And he, he did this spectacular performance, as Eric always does. And then afterwards, um, he came back like behind the audience where we were and asked for our numbers. And I was like, there's no way in hell this is happening. <laughs> right? Um, and so we, that's how we ended up being part of the NBO MTI. Was like when we showed up, it ended up being way more people involved than we thought in all these brilliant, brilliant minds and artists in Nairobi. I couldn't even understand how someone could manage to gather all of them in one room. I, I, I don't think to that moment I thought, it's possible to have Aleha Kasaw and Mugambi Ntega and uh, JSO and Mayonde and Sitawa Namwali and all these, just, all these people you dream of just being in the same space with. Together working towards a similar goal, um, and we just there uh, like, yeah, we tell stories from history. these people, most of them, make music. How is this? How is this gonna work and we we stumbled our way through it, and somehow it started working, and we figured we figured out our way to infuse more of the stories we were telling into the music and a way to infuse more of the music into the stories we were telling and it stopped being as scary as it was i mean it still is scary especially since um most people out there haven't seen what we've been working on Um, but it's such a it, it became such a beautiful experience to just to learn anew like learn that there are all these ways that you can tell stories in um that are not the ways we are used to like for me, as is evident in this answer, I'm very verbose. So my writing just goes and goes and goes. And then the to realize that okay, so we have a five-minute section here that's a song that has a chorus, and these beats we need to come back to, but we also need to make space for the instruments, right? But tell the whole story. That was challenging. <laughs> But it's the space we found ourselves in and and it's it's beautiful. Have I answered that question?
0: Yes, you have have <laughs> without telling us too much. can you give us like a snippet? no spoilers though a snippet of your musical
1: That's strange because at the moment, I actually cannot
0: <laughs> okay
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, because the the musical has grown to the point where um. I'm, I'm I'm involved in a totally separate part of making it happen, mm. right? Um, but I can give you a snippet of the general idea. And it, it borrows from an edition of 12 Fubats that um, explodes the history of violent crime in Kenya, more specifically in Nairobi. So there were show shows, there were nogos, there were Kenyoga, all these stories we grew up with about crime that we were not very sure whether they were legend or, or fact. So we borrowed from that and we got into this very interesting space <laughs> mm-hmm. where these robbers from the nineties who who were very influenced by, by by their time. So the culture, the hip-hop making its 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 way into the world in and Kenya and, and coming into maturity. Um due to some occurrence that I can't mention right now, because it would be spoiling the show, somehow due to that occurrence, find themselves interacting with a, a generation of crime from way before their time. So the generation that came before them, so from the 70s and the 80s, um, which is also influenced by their time and the music of their time. So you you have benga and, and rumba and... um And... and and soul, and like all this really rich, mostly instrumental music. And, and the fashion of that time, um, we know most of, we know some of these robbers like Wakinyonga are very expressive in terms of fashion. So these two groups of people representing these two vastly different cultural eras interact, right? Mm-hmm. And then, there is the ever-present aspect of law enforcement, which is um, also very flamboyant and expressive, with the Patrick shows and the serenades of this world. And at that intersection, where we also have the people who usually are the victim of both all these sides of both sides of both law enforcement, that intersection where they all meet—that's where the story happens. That's where the musical is. That's that's the most I can I can do without ruining it.
0: It sounds amazing because I've also been part of the entire experience. So like the beginning of the experience and I know that story, even directing Bad Asari, like the initial concept of it was those characters are just <clears throat> so yummy. <laughs> so tasty, you know? What, um,
1: what would you say? how would you describe your, 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 your the journey from shifting from the original badassery we, we, we wrote and performed to the musical that we're currently working on?
0: Okay. So first of all, mm-hmm. um I remember by the time you guys were like joining the workshop, I was knee deep in like pre-production for Brazen. So I wasn't there to experience like the beginning. But by the time I came in and you guys told me, so we we're doing badassery, but it's now Bandassery, yeah. It was like... Wow, these guys and their words. I can't say this one.
1: To be honest, at that time the only thing we'd figured out was the name.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but there was this idea to fictionalize the characters, which just blew my mind. Cause this meant like they were show, show that I I've had stories about from my mom. I've had stories about from like Reading newspapers, from the research we had done, from, from the research I'd read and the script I'd read. That was Shoshu was in our hands. We could make him anything we wanted him to be. And that has always been the most exciting thing about Twally for Birds. It's taking, like, an actual existing person, giving them a face, and then telling them, okay, so now play this part, let's see if we can convince the audience. Like, that representation of and the honesty that goes into the work that the actors put in, the writers, that's always been exciting. But now this one was on another level. This one was on steroids. This was, like, completely reimagining these people. That, to me, that transition was the most beautiful thing. And, of course, like you said, at that time, it felt really scary because you're like, hey, sasa us and we are used to real people, you know?
1: <laughs> you're, you know, you're not working with facts. <laughs> you know? Like the grounding, exactly. is that grounding aspect that a fact gives you.
0: So this time it was guy, Okay. Well, I guess, you know, um, and that's the thing about being with you, and Abu and the rest of, and everyone in the team, basically. There's this, because we've already said Bandasari, I don't know if I'm, I, I'll just cast. There's this a that is usually like in that atmosphere. It just gives you courage to be your extreme self. So you just jump into something. If it was like something nilikwa, it'll take a while kuyona. By a while, I mean, like, from breakfast to lunchtime. Mm-hmm. But by, the time, by the time I'm having lunch, I was like, I'm sold. Yeah, let's do this. Let's start, like, talking about those things that no one wants to talk to. That's, we've very complicated characters that will stir up conversations, because that's what Twelve for Birds does. There was something you wanted to say.
1: Yeah, I wanted to say this. Do you remember, uh-huh. um, the reactions when, when, we we read the first scene we wrote. The
0: thing was in Shang. Yeah, good times. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm going to say.
1: I I can't wait to see, especially that specific first mm-hmm. section. If it makes it mm-hmm. to the final script, mm-hmm. I would really love to see how 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 people in the audience
0: yeah
1: react to that.
0: That would be beautiful. It's just like it's crazy. Um. I've always come into 24 for birds from the, like from the second angle. Like the script, the research has been done. The script is ready. It's just the editing, and then now the, the actual like actualization of the show.
1: You're giving yourself very little credit as usual. <laughs> uh, for the record, Wanjiko has always been very involved in the actual writing of the script. Let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay it's different, it's different when you're coming up with the words you know it's different when you're actually like taking all this research and like weaving it into like a narrative that flows like continuously um most of the time when I get the script it's this is magic now let's now amplify it in a way or find a common thread, let's talk about it let's you know so anyway but. This other side of actually now coming up with, from the first the first letter, deciding, hey, how does this show start and all that, it's different because you get to see now, I've not experienced the full light of a playwright like you have. And just, if that scene comes to, to be in the script, that is something I would love to see now, like, That's a different experience, and that's the beauty of art. No matter where you go, you're of a different experience. So, we were talking about risks. Like you guys, I think professional risk takers. (laughs) (laughs) There's a way you come into a thing, and there's how you think about it, and there's how you dive into it and run. And that infectious energy, you command in the people around you just bring it out naturally are you in any way worried about that change from a business point of view now let's talk brand
1: um from a business point of view it, it might be useless to worry now especially halfway through <laughs> a pandemic pandemic <laughs> That's changed everything, right? I think the, the the best way to answer that would be to go back a bit before the before COVID struck. I don't think I personally I ever worried at any given point. I think we were so caught up in the excitement and the work of it all, and and what it could be, and the possibilities, which is which is what usually happens. We get so caught up in the possibilities of um what will come out of the process that the worry kind of takes a back seat until you have to convince people to pay for it and then you're like guy whose idea was this okay maybe i was partly responsible for it
0: wow <laughs> but, <laughs> wow
1: but we had just established like we just gotten with with especially with brazen because Brazen was um the first 24 buzz edition where abu and i were, were not handling a huge chunk of the script of being very present on stage, I think we were there for like, what, eleven to seventeen seconds max. Um We just got into a point where um we'd stopped getting so many of too too, too little bands. Two... well, what, but what the two what To Oh, you're the guys with the stories from history. So we'd gotten to that, established we are the guys with the stories from history. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to get the name right, but you know what we do. Yeah. Right? And now we were transitioning to so you're the guys with the stories in from history, but told in music, but also fictionalized. <laughs> and that's 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 a strange leap to take. Um and at that at that time, we did not have a very Clear reference point, and this is not to say that no one has done such a thing before. It's just we were not aware we' still not aware of anyone who's done something specifically relatable to what we're doing mm-hmm. and I would love to to know if there is if if there's such an occurrence because then it also gives you a bit of direction mm-hmm. right, to know you're coming from a, a lineage um and
0: a oh, security
1: yes. And to know what if it worked, what worked right and and how can you borrow from that and maybe improve it and if and what didn't work right and is it something we should avoid, or is it something we should approach from a different perspective right so when you're jumping into something without that kind of guiding history, everything is a risk the whole thing might fall apart and in the falling apart, it might also bring down that identity we had started solidifying of being the guys with the stories. At that time, it was a risk. But now, looking back, I'm more aware that every single edition we've done of 24 Birds has been a risk in itself. Um, the first one was just... That, that was probably the height of recklessness. Um <laughs> <laughs> um, in ev- for everyone involved, because I, I think we all had the whole team had this collective understanding that this might work and become a magnificent thing, or it might fall so magnificently as well that we'll never attempt anything. I think I think we had a conversation about possibly taking a break from mm. from from the scene for <laughs> probably a couple of years if it doesn't work out. This would be actually around the time we'd be coming back if it hadn't worked out. (laughs) And so we go from that first edition, which, and I remember us giving you like six, seven different stories, and Mm -hmm. we hadn't really figured out how to tie them together. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're you such a brilliant human being, Wenjiko, because even now I really don't understand how you ended up guiding us through like tying all that together into the second edition where we were like, okay, something worked last yeah. time. Maybe we can try it intentionally now, right? Into the third edition of into now, which we, we borrowed from for the musical, where it was the first time we were handing you as the director a complete script, which it wasn't all this collection of different stories that please figure out how to make it make sense. It was, okay, it's different stories, but these, here's the flow. That was a risk as well, because... I, that was also, the, the common thread was a fictional thread. And we, we were building the show as a fact-based show. Mm-hmm. It's stories from history. Mm-hmm. Yet the characters telling the stories were fictitious characters. Mm-hmm. But it was so intertwined that it wasn't very clear where the fiction ends and the fact starts. And the audience could have rejected the whole thing. Mm-hmm. would have said we duped them. Um, then we went into prison, mm-hmm. which approached it from a totally, totally brilliant space that I I, I... I. At the beginning, I also had a problem comprehending. Mm. I was like, okay, so we have a physical space on stage and an mm. abstract space. Mm. Right? So, we're basically... We're running two ideas at the same time. There is... There, this, there is this story that's flowing in this house mm. with these real characters who are telling these real stories from history. But then there's this imaginative space... Mm where the reenactments and, and the flashbacks and all that are happening. And it sounds like such a far, far out idea until you think about it as like, that's how we operate as human beings. Mm. We, we live in this real or what we perceive as reality. But then at the same time, we're so much in our heads where the imagination and, and reenactment and all that is happening, Right. And that was such a risky thing to do. Even the politics around it, I show everything by women is is a risk, right, in <laughs> this patriarchal system. And and for it to be so unapologetic. And then to jump from that, there was that long break we took between 2018 and 2019. And to do Mboya, which was directed by Mogambi Vega, which was the first time then we were focusing on the story of a single
0: person. One, yeah.
1: And um their effects in history so every single edition we've done even even the the special editions the, the edition we t- we took to nanyuki <laughs> the, the show stopped halfway for this interrogation of patriarchy and rape culture and all that and i'm sure people in the audience at some point was like situlikujapa kuskia stories are history sasta the mbona nambiwa men are trash right and um, the Story Moja edition, right, which was, the, f- I think, the, f- the first time we were taking stories from different editions yeah. and putting them together. And we had people in the audience who'd seen all the shows. So that could have flopped as well. Someone would have said, well, yeah, well but there's nothing new here, really, I've seen everything.
0: And even the production design of the Story Moja show, I remember, like, we'd, we'd had so much experience at the National Theatre. Um, where there's lights, there's like, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's like 40 inch. entrances onto yes, the stage. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's a stage that offers a lot more than the Louis Leakey auditorium, but basically reducing the show, quote unquote. You're scaling it down. Uh, we scaled it down to not exactly a minimalist show, but to that level was a risk for me. And I remember, like, as the director was panicking talking to the producer and telling her, Kai, what if, what if, what if. The same thing with Nanyuki. That was the first time we now... Now that was minimalist, like black.
1: To this day, I do not know where Sitae, the said designer, exactly. got all that material.
0: Exactly. We did so much with so little, and it proved, like, to me... I keep telling people it proved to me that 124 birds could exist in any, any form, medium. It can be anything it wants to be and it doesn't care. And that gave me a sense of pride in the entire thing. In the idea, it just made me believe in it more and become more of a fan because there's no, you're not, you're going to direct a show if you're not a fan. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I wouldn't know.
0: <laughs> are you going to tell me you're not a fan of what you write? I, am, I,
1: I haven't directed it. You can't, you can't write it if you don't like it either.
0: But so yeah, we've been talking about risk-taking. What are the challenges and the breaks that you have experienced so far?
1: Do I look like someone who's coping to
0: <laughs> <laughs> I find that you are.
1: <laughs> um, from the get-go, I remember one one of the initial responses we got Mm -hmm. when we we were trying to put the team together Mm -hmm. was, there's no way you guys are doing all these lines. And then that person was like, but you have time. Like, uh, yeah, we have like four four weeks. It's like, no way in hell you're doing these lines.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Right? And that's just a perception. You have to overcome the limitations that, people have put on you as an artist just because they haven't done the thing, right? Mm-hmm. And especially when it's coming from someone you respect mm-hmm. and look up to, it, it can really dampen mm-hmm. the idea. Um, two, there is what 844 has done to us. Mm-hmm. We, and it's to convince us that our history is not worth it. It's, it's boring, it's dry, it starts in 1963. And then you, you start doing a little digging and you find all these gorgeous stories from Kenyan history, these tragic stories, these horrifying stories, these inspiring stories. Like, I spent 16 years writing notes upon notes upon notes like the transatlantic trade was important, but I feel like I should have known about Modo Nyanjiro. Like, why did I read so much about Jomo Kenyatta? Phil Marshall is still. Me,
0: I still remember. Uh Like, I have a photographic memory. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, congratulations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I impress myself every day. (laughs) I'm just joking. But I remember the two paragraphs that were assigned to Mboya and how crappy that was. (sighs) Anyway. And then Others to, get angry. <laughs>
1: to realize that Mboya was such a colorful, vast human being, right, with, with flows and, and all this. So that is a challenge by itself, right, where you start out with a paragraph or two, or in the case of Mutoni um, Yanjiro with a footnote in in a research paper, I think it was, about Harituku. And then you start digging in this obvious material then that you did not anticipate mm. and that you now have to synthesize and maybe bring it to, what, like 30 minutes. So Timothy enjoy a whole history mm. of resistance and bad assery actually and just Carries and all this, like dude was getting beaten up by Kenyatta's henchmen in the 70s. Mm-hmm. He almost got killed by Moi's henchmen. He's come. He, in his own words, he's come back from the dead. I think three times. Mm-hmm. I think he actually, at some point, he was officially pronounced dead from violence perpetrated upon him by the state. Right. So how do you take all that material and all that experience? How do you? pick one moment that then defines, it, it doesn't, it, you can, it can define the, their life, but how do you channel their life and their history through a moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that stretches you so far as a writer, mm-hmm. because as a researcher you're like, okay, all oh, this material, the more the material, the better, until in the writing room you're like, uh, who did this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then there's the rehearsal process mm-hmm. of it that no one prepares you for that digs up all this trauma you didn't even know you were carrying. Right? And um on my end as a performer, it's always very heavy. One of the heaviest moments we've done is is the Mboya funeral. And Abu and I were tasked with telling the story of, of after Mboya's death, right? how his body ended up in Rusinga. And that's a heavy journey. It's this tragedy, this national, international tragedy that's gonna reverberate through history has just happened. The whole country is hanging by a string. And you're telling this story, and this story, has n- it's, it's not an easy one. And then the funeral itself is such a traumatizing event, even when you're retelling it in history, right? It takes you to to such a dark space. I remember when we were in the writer's room, I don't think, I I don't know if you remember, but us discussing how Mboya to us feels like an older brother who died before we were born, yet we've carried this grief with us all along, and now we have to face it and deal with it, right? And there's one thing to deal with it through the rehearsals process, right? Or Or, or the cast realizing just how atrocious the Nyao House Chambers were, right? That going through that process is one thing. Then relaying that to people who've come to experience the show and now experiencing their grief with them, their realization with them again, and you have to guide them through that process, right? And you're there genuinely feeling these emotions. For um, example, Shiviske Shibisuke, a brilliant, brilliant actor, goes really deep into the emotion. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're both there navigating the emotion and basically just breaks down and brings you into those depths mm-hmm. with her, right? Because you have to follow your scene partner. And then in that process, there are people breaking down around you in the audience. And you, you have to do your part as yourself. You have to support mm-hmm. your scene partner while surrounded by that. But then the most challenging part for me was the next scene, Right after the funeral, starts with it would start with Abu and I as narrators on stage cracking a joke. And there's this switch you have to do from that really, really deep emotional state to this other r- tragically hilarious reality that we live that is one of the most challenging moments of my life, to be honest. And to do it over and over and over again doesn't get any much easier. So there's there's levels to it, I I think. There's the the research part of it, which is also heartbreaking because getting material, research material in this country sometimes can be such a frustrating affair um, from the fact that a lot of documents in, in pre-colonial like in during the colonial, especially during the emergency, were destroyed and the fact that not much care has been taken of both archival material and even the living people, or the people we call heroes and people who lived through these processes were living libraries, right? They've been neglected. There's that part, then there's the writing part where you have all these material that you have to now synthesize, right? And then there's the rehearsal process which brings up all these things you didn't even know you were carrying. Then there's the performance part of it which is ridiculous. Then after that there's the dealing with, okay so now we know, and then. And all that is covered in. This has to make business sense. (laughs) We still need to pay the people involved in making this show. We still need to pay our rent. We need the challenges are on my end are ridiculous. Yet the payback is always worth it. Seeing the effect these stories have on people, the the hunger they bring out for people to know more, the just that emotional journey that people take with you that just it's amazing. But that that's I've always been very, very deeply involved in the process from the beginning. So I'd also want to know how it is for you because you're usually i I can take deep dives because I know my director has my back so how how is it what's what, from the creative process, what are the challenges for you?
0: I can't move too far away from what you've said. It's usually the the fact that I know that if we have a new actor, they're probably going through. The heartbreak of, of knowing like very, um, very painful things, like your mom lied to you in an effort to protect you. Not just necessarily lying, but a truth that was said is not the truth. And that, the fact that the first time you had, oh, This person in politics is a good person and you should support that person. And then, and that was the person that raised you. Those truths, when they start like now being questioned and your whole life, like literally that is the process in the rehearsal room. It's usually like people now start questioning themselves and feeling, feeling smaller Feeling like I don't know anything. And then you could have that the people who actually come there and they are, they know everything. They are very, um, very informed and very aware of everything that's happening around them. Now balancing that energy, balancing the, the crisis that is going on here with this person and this energy of Najua. I am passionate about this that is usually the the challenge twenty four seven i have been this this actor I have been hit by a lot and the thing about directing such a show is you're constantly hit by a lot so just having that balance for i need to 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 show up for this person while also validating this person and also you know producers producers break your heart <laughs> producers and directors fight forever that balancing of acts like in a kwanga, its own challenge and then there's also just the politics of the entire the entire scene handling sensitive material while living your life and owning up to the pressures of life is not easy that's the biggest challenge I'd say that I have faced when it comes to this specific show. And also just the challenge of being put on a pedestal, you know. And just because we did this show and this show that spoke about this and that does not mean you as a person know everything You're not a walking encyclopedia. You're just a person who is also learning, is also growing, is also allowed to mess up a lot. And I've come to appreciate messing up, being messy as an artist. That is where creativity is at. This playground that is NBUMTI, that is it. Like artists need to play and you can be consumed in the work. You forget to play. That is the biggest challenge as an artist that I have learned. And we, I'm sure you two have been allowed to explore with the MTI process. Being in a space with the likes that you mentioned, the JSOs, the Mayondes, the Tinandumba, the Alea Kasams, Wanja Horo. All these magnificent people, what can you share about being in such a space with such people?
1: I think the one thing that has taken a while to learn, still, I'm still learning, to because it's a thing you have to exercise on a daily basis, is to trust the taste that the other people have. Mm-hmm. If, if they think you're good, trust the fact that they have really good taste. <laughs> it might not feel like you're that good, but Alea doesn't really lie about these things. Mm. Right? Mm. Moran was her shit. Mm. Uh, Mogambi does as well. So the first one is to trust that the good things that people say about you and to own them, right? You You don't have to to walk around with a placard around your, your neck with every nice thing everyone has said. But it would be nice to walk around with that placard inside your head right, for when those voices get too loud. Because they never shut up. Sometimes they, they, they fade into the background, mm. but there's always like a very rude voice that I feel like, <laughs> and, right, and that's the voice you smack with that placard. To trust that you've put in enough work even when it doesn't feel like it, mm. to be in that space, and there's something you have that it might be a, 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 it might feel like a little light to you, but it's a very small matchstick that burns the bridge right? it's, it's, it's the spark that, that, that trust that spark mm. and to listen. Uh-huh.
0: It's one, Garimata is hummingbird. bad.
1: It's, yeah, you're a little thing. You are the little thing, yeah. right? And we are all actually... This is... To take it way, 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 way farther. <laughs> we're really... We are all sitting on a... And walking around on a piece of rock that's hurtling through space. If, like, googling the pale blue dot gives you a, a very scary perspective. Mm. Like, you realize it just... We're just, like, our whole existence our whole planet, the mm-hmm. problems and all that, and your, your doubts and all that, you're really like a dot. Sometimes your worries feel, and, and the things you doubt about yourself, mm-hmm. feel like they, they, they're bigger than you. Mm-hmm. They're not. And most times they exist inside your head. Mm-hmm. And the people you're working with mm-hmm. are seeing you from the other side. They're not inside your head. They're not blinded by all those things people told you growing up. Being in this space and realizing when people are affirming you, they actually mean it. When you write a thing and people love it, they genuinely like love it, and and trust that people also also trust people's selfishness. Mm-hmm. In people always want to look good,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they they're not going to associate themselves with you if your idea is actually trash, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. there's that, but that also that's from that's from the perspective of when people are telling you good things. Sometimes mm-hmm. they, they're not. Sometimes you you work yeah. and, and you work and they don't tell you anything. Or they or they give you feedback that's not what you expected to see mm-hmm. or to hear. Mm-hmm. And in those times, trust the process. Because as you say, the, the beauty comes from the ugliness of, of creation. And imagine no one like you has ever, ever, ever existed. Mm-hmm. Like the special set of circumstances that brought you here. From you being born in this weird ass country, <laughs> in the culture you grew up, in the music that informed what you read, the people who've influenced you, there is no one ever who's like you or will ever be like you. So what you're producing, as as long as you're giving honestly to it, stands. It's worth it. Right? And and believe that it's worth it. And Not everyone has to like it, because you're constantly pushing a boundary. You're doing storytelling, and then you're doing storytelling in musical right? You're in a a space that you've never been in before, and that a lot of people have never been in before. So you're going to make mistakes, yes, but what's going to come out of those mistakes is is worth it in, in whatever, and sometimes things are so new that people do not know how to react to them.
0: That was really profound. Thank you so much.
1: And thank you for having me. Uh,
0: anytime. We have had such a lovely time. And I'm sure our listeners have too. This was the NBOMTI podcast, the Ooh. backstage series. And we were joined by Gatia. The Gatia. You have to say his name, Zabiz. I don't know why. Eh? <laughs> and... This has been the NBOMTI podcast. I've been your host, Wenjiko Mavuganga, and we've been joined by the amazing Gatia. Thank you again, Gatia. And this was episode four. Thank you so much for joining us. Till next time, love and light, good vibes.